Dear Father, thank you that you are merciful to us, that you, you know us and yet you love us. You know us to the nth degree, all our flaws and failures as well as our joys, and yet you, you choose to rescue people. You choose to rescue those who will trust in you, and we are so thankful. We pray now that you would help us to be amazed, encouraged, rebuked, challenged by your word. Because you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. If you don't know who I am and you're missing our senior pastor, Andy, who is uh, eating crocodile burgers in, in, uh, in America at the moment, uh, you can pray for him, I suppose. Um, he might think that's fun. But I'm, I'm the assistant pastor and uh, youth and children's worker, and it's a pleasure uh, to be able to uh, teach God's Word to you this morning, whether you are a regular or whether you are a visitor. Sorry, I got discombobulated and forgot the word because I saw some, some old friends here, which is really, really, really lovely. So, tell me then, as you look at these pictures that are going to appear on the screen, um, what do they have in common? Okay, what do they have in common? Here's the first one. Have a good look at that. Here's our second one. Have a good look at that. And here is our third one. Careful attention. What do they have in common? Just tell it to the person next to you in three seconds. Go for it. It is rather surprising. But I'm expecting somebody in the activity room over here to know, and they know? They are dead. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. That was our funeral director, our local funeral director, and they knew. Um, <laughs> they are in the right job, you know. <laughs> yeah, she's also our church administrator, so you'll be careful. But um, they are all dead now. It was a surprise for most of you, it seems, uh, other than the professionals, to know they are dead. Uh, the Victorians used to do this. Uh, dress up and uh, put makeup on uh, people who were dead um, and uh, make them look like they were living. Amazingly, in the encounter that Jesus has in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is just as surprised to know, well, not only is he spiritually dead, well, he needs to be born again another time or as other translations have, from above. And he is utterly surprised, confused by this, just as you were in thinking, why would someone do that? What if you were to meet Jesus one day and discover you are dead, even though you are walking? You're spiritually separated from God. Now, we don't have to think too much about what Jesus would say because we've got this recorded in biblical history for us to look at it this morning. And so we're going to find out that Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you want to see God reign, well, you've got to be born. You've got to be born. Born to new life and not new religion. And if you want to have endless life, you've got to believe. So the key words for us this morning is be born and believe and he's going to believe Jesus because Jesus speaks authoritatively, with authority. He's the one who can say the right words on this subject. And he is the one who saves those who are damned. You need binoculars to be able to see those. But 
I, I'm excited about this because I, I, I like the Pharisees. I like the Pharisees. Um, I think I like the Pharisees because I can identify with the desire to follow some rules um, and to rest on them. And, but often, uh, we find that Pharisees are very surprising uh, characters in the New Testament. Nicodemus certainly is the most surprising Pharisee, part of a group of religious people that actually didn't like Jesus too much. But we're going to learn some things from him uh, as he meets Jesus this morning. Now look at the beginning of our reading, the end of chapter 2 in the Gospel of John. I know you can do it because you've got the Bible open on your lap so that you can check I'm not just making this stuff up, right? So look at that very last uh, couple of verses. Jesus meets a group of people who had seen him perform lots of signs, verse 23. I meet a lot of people and a lot of teenagers in my youth work who would say to me, and probably that's been true of you, if you ever met anybody who says, if only I saw a miracle, I would believe what the Bible says. Anybody ever met someone like this? If only I saw something. Maybe if God wrote on the clouds saying, Johnny, I exist and I love you. Repent today. They would believe. And yet, I don't think that works. Because here there's a group of people that saw Jesus turn water into wine early in chapter 2. And yet, look, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, he himself knew what was in man, meaning humanity. Something about these people that they saw Jesus perform signs and miracles, and yet that wasn't enough for them to trust in Jesus. So we meet one such man, Nicodemus, and Jesus is going to do what he does best. He's going to peel him and address all of his misconceptions and leave him with a choice. That's what he does with us. So if you want to see God reign, uh, you've got to be born. Let's talk about that, okay? What is someone's greatest hope that they can have in life? What are some aspirations that people can have? Now, I see some friends here uh, from the church I was at in Derby, and the school up the road had their motto, aspire and achieve. So you should aspire, and you're going to achieve it. And based on a small piece of uh, research that I've read, um, people collated answers from about 1,200 people, and they asked them the top 10 things uh, that they wanted the most uh, that people can't seem to get. So you want it, you can't seem to get it. Okay? Happiness, made the list. Money, or certainly enough of it, because probably none of you would say, I have enough money. Well, those of you who know Jesus, you might be content, and you might say you do. Um, freedom, peace, joy in relationships, a balance in work and life. You want it, can't get it. Fulfillment, confidence, stability, passion. That's just 10 of them. But they show that you and I, as we live in this world, we are not satisfied with things as they are. We're not happy with things as they are. Our lives are marked by discontent, aren't they? And if you had been an Old Testament saint up to the time of Jesus as well, and you were actually loving God, your lives also would have been marked by a discontent, but a holy discontent. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So let's say that you were someone who loved God. 
the Lord. And you are reading your Old Testament part of the Bible. And you're reading these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your emotions, your uh, willful commitment. How would you say you'd be managing? Doing pretty well at doing that? Really good? Really good at loving the Lord? For those of you who have a, a deep, intimate friendship, do you serve your friend like that? With that love? Serve the Lord like that. I think because we get a hint that Nicodemus was a devout believer, I'm going to venture in saying he knew those words off by heart, and he also knew his own inability to obey them. Park that in the corner of your mind and meet Nicodemus. So we've got Nicodemus here. That's one portrayal of him. Well-known Bible teacher. And Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel. Okay, here's, here's a title. He does that in verse 10. And you and I, we might read our Bibles regularly. But Nicodemus would have read it in Greek and in Hebrew. And the bits that are in Aramaic, he probably would have known those as well. He was a knowledgeable man. You and I sometimes might have difficulty with a few tough questions. But if we looked at each other and say, who will know an answer to this? The problem of God's sovereignty and human responsibility or whether we should be supralapsarian or infralapsarian, well, Nicodemus would have known those words, <laughs> the, the appropriate um, example at the time. I might be an assistant pastor and, you know, run a few ministries in the church, but boy, oh boy, Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, an important group. Like a little bit of a court of law where scholars weighed uh, biblical questions and gave wisdom uh, for others. Goodness, even his name. I mean, my name means deceiver. <laughs> or it rhymes with deceiver. Okay, Jacob from Jacob, a heel catcher. And uh, his name means conqueror of the people. That's good, isn't it? How many of you might want to name your children Nicodemus, Nico? Okay, there you go. How many PhDs would he have if he lived today? Uh, maybe you would have to address him as Reverend Professor Doctor. And yet, he is a Pharisee that comes to Jesus. He's not proud to come to Jesus. But verse 2, when does he do that? When? At night. A theme in the Gospel of John that isn't very positive. At night, things are done that are hidden. Scholars disagree on the significance of this, but Jesus, uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he has respect for Jesus because he says, you are a rabbi, I respect you. You were doing things here that show that God is with you. Is he trying to flatter Jesus? I don't know. But if he is, Jesus knows what is in humanity. End of chapter 2. He sees through it. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, a bit like there was a couple in my old church that um, they were immensely, are immensely, they still love, immensely knowledgeable. Okay, we've got some guests here from our old church, they'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, I started to get an interest in trees, and I could, you know, I know my beach uh, from my, you know, aces, um, and I might be able to tell you that a holly has the Latin name of elex, um, that an oak is a, is a quercus, you know, but they will tell you every Latin name, a 
goodness, uh, the husband, he knows all of the varieties of bees that exist in this country and probably their Latin names. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you guys, yeah, they know. I was face to face with someone who knew way more than me, even though I was working really hard. And if I wanted to learn from them, I had to humble myself and go, I didn't know that, teach me, rather than show off the knowledge I already had. It's hard to admit you don't know, isn't it? Nicodemus found it hard. He was experienced, probably older than Jesus, and yet he finds himself constantly shown what he doesn't know. In verse 2, he says, Rabbi, we know that these signs are from God, that God is with you. That's about everything he knows. Look at what he doesn't know. Verse 4, but how can this be? Verse 7, he's surprised at things that Jesus says. You should already know this, mate. He's baffled. He doesn't understand the very foundational things about the kingdom of God and what God is like. And so even the Reverend Professor Doctor needs to be taught, how do you enter the kingdom of God? So Jesus is going to tell him, you need to be born to new life, not new religion. Remember all of those expectations that I said to you if you're reading your Old Testament Bible um, and you're kind of frustrated uh, that you can't love God with all your heart and you feel sad about that? Because what is the greatest hope for the ancient Israelite? The greatest hope is to be with God. The greatest hope is like David says in Psalm 27, to gaze at God's beauty and live in his house forever, to be with him without sin being in the way. That's the greatest hope. Because that's the greatest hope, Jesus says, what you need is a change so radical in your heart your heart that wants the things that aren't what God wants. Your heart that is broken, just like mine. What you need, Nicodemus, is a change that's so radical, we might as well call it a new birth. Uh, a lot of people that we meet are going to be surprised that what we mean by church and what we mean by Christianity isn't something you do on a Sunday or perhaps a different uh, box that you tick on a form uh, that says, oh, ethnicity, religion, religion, and you tick a different you know, box in there, and that's sorted. No, Jesus is going to use this picture to say, have no confusion about this. Unless God does something which you can't do by his Spirit in your heart, you just cannot know what it's like to have God rule forever. Even after you die, if you, want, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to see God be king of your life, Nicodemus needed to know he needed to have a new start with Jesus. Way deeper than religion this is. Look at verses 5 and 8 again with me. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, um, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases to mystery, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This picture language is kind of like this. Uh, if, if any of you like literature here, I might say, what do these phrases have in common? With bated breath, to break the ice, dead as a doornail, 
faint-hearted. Where do they find their source? Does anybody know? I was very curious to know this because I was never a big reader when I was growing up, and we certainly didn't do the works of William Shakespeare, which is where these come from. Our language is so influenced. But the minute I have that conversation with somebody like my wife or Sarah Bruins, two literary uh, big brains, they go, oh, of course, you know, that is a doornail before Dickens. That's in Henry the, Henry the Sixth, Part Two, and I'd be like, "Is it? <laughs> Is it? I'll take your word for it." But here, Nicodemus hears these key words, "spirit" and "water," and he's got all of this knowledge behind him from the Old Testament that helps him build a picture that you need to have in your mind right now. Think about the prophet Joel when he says, "One day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people." Not just God living in a temple or a tabernacle, but in every believer. Park that in your mind and then look at Ezekiel, where God says, I will give them an undivided heart, a heart that doesn't have split loyalties, a new spirit. I'll remove from them their heart of stone, stone unfeeling, unable to love and please God properly, and give them instead a heart of flesh. Then they'll follow my decrees. So he speaks of a new heart, a new spirit, that wants to follow the Lord. So this pouring here, that Nicodemus would have known these prophecies, these promises, promises, this pouring makes it possible for people to follow God without any part of their lives being left behind. The birth of a whole person again. So water speaks then of cleansing from impurity, of transformation, and I think this isn't just something, this isn't just a conversation that happened 2,000 years ago and we forget about it or it seems foreign to us. Let me tell you why. Our culture longs for renewal, longs for a new birth, for a new start, for a new beginning. It longs for our hearts to be unbroken because we look at our hearts and our thought lives and we go, we need something different. It's in every movie we watch. Every character, whether it's, for example, I love Men of Justice type films, you know, like it's Denzel Washington just mowing down bad guys, you know, that kind of stuff. Why do I love that? Because I want that dude to be in the right, and I want to forget about the fact that he killed loads of people in his previous life over here. He's killed like hundreds of people, fine. But now he's doing some good things. And so by the end of the movie, I want to empathize and say, you know, whatever heaven is, like that guy's going. You know, it's got a good life there. Whatever it is, whether it's in the field of politics, and we think, I mean, it doesn't matter that this other politician or that party deceived us and lied about this thing or the other thing. You know, they've got some good policies. They can have, give us a new beginning. I've given you examples before in uh, the evening service of what that looks like in Brazil. Well, one of the candidates is dressed up as Satan and the other one is dressed up as Jesus. I kid you not, look this up. You'll be encouraged about politics in your country. <laughs> but all these movies are showing us. We know there's something in here, in here. We can't fix it. We want it to be fixed. Or we don't want to think about it. We want to distract ourselves. But this passage is telling us we need to be face to face with our sin, with our brokenness, and we need a miracle. We need Jesus to give us new birth. So the God who created humanity 
now he's able to recreate it from the inside out and begin to fix that brokenness with his spirit in us. So I wonder, do you long for that transformation? Is that you? Have you already experienced it? Has God begun to do in your heart what he says in these verses? Pouring out his spirit within you, changing your desires. If you're a Christian, you've been born again, you trust in Jesus, you've said sorry for your sins, your life was going like this, moving away from him, and you've repented 180 degrees, and now you're walking towards Jesus and away from sin as he helps you. And just as in John chapter 1, verse 12 says, that is you, look at it with me. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave them the right to be children of God. Children of God. That means without the right, without Jesus, you are not a child of God. But to those who believe in his name, those, yes, those who believe, those who choose to believe in Jesus, say sorry for their sins, who were born not of natural descent, you're not a Christian because you inherited it from your parents or because you think it's nice, or of the will of the flesh, I can't make you a Christian, another human being, or the will of man, but of God. So if you're here this morning and like Nicodemus, you've always thought religion is the way, I have certain religious habits, I read the Bible, but I don't commit all of my life to trusting in Jesus. Jesus is saying, you must be born again, and it's not about anything that's religious. If that's not you, I promise you this is what will happen if you start reading the Bible and talking to other Christians about what it says. Because us Christians, we are not perfect. Yet our God is. And you read about what he wants to do in our hearts and you will salivate like someone waiting for a lovely steak with peppercorn sauce. And I say vegetarian. We'll pray for you. It, you will salivate after what God has to do, the forgiveness he has to offer. And you will say, I want it. So if you want to have Endless life, in our second part, you've got to believe. So you've got to be born again. It's not religion. It's new life. You've got to believe and believe the one who speaks with authority about this. Look at it with me, okay? For many people, it's, it's hard to listen to Jesus talk about eternal life, endless life, uh, only through him, only through him, not other religions, not other systems of thought. It's really hard, particularly here in the West, because there are so many other options. As a matter of fact, um, in schools, you might find people that will tell you um, this story of how, you know, all, all paths lead to Rome, all roads lead to Rome. Um, it's kind of like when these blind men um, are trying to approach an elephant, and the elephant is a picture of God, um, and these blind men are just trying to touch different parts of the elephant, and they're having a conversation about it, and they're saying, the elephant, read God, well, I'm touching, I'm touching something here that feels like a spear. And, it's, and they start to describe the tusk of the elephant. Foolish them. They can't see. They don't know. And so they just, you know, it's like a religion. It tries to say, well, God is like this. But how can they know? They're like blind men. Someone else touches the elephant's ear. And they feel, wow, God is like a massive, like sort of manual fan. You know, that's what he's like. And the person telling the story has this point in mind. All these other religions think they're right but they're all wrong. They only have a part of the picture. What do we say to that? Because Jesus is saying, it's only through me. Well, I would say at least this. 
Listen to the arrogance of the person telling the story. All of the blind men are wrong, but I can see the elephant. I can see it all, the whole picture. In our culture, that is in all likelihood the secularist who would say, I'm an atheist. I can see that all religions are biased. It's all to do with your product of your society. If you'd been born somewhere different, but me, I see the full picture. That doesn't seem to work. Because the real picture here is, what if the elephant simply spoke and said, Hey, you guys, <laughs> you're wrong about me. Let me just tell you. Let me tell you, I am the God who became a man, who came to live among you. I will perform signs and miracles so you know my message has authority. I will die and rise again from the dead to show you and prove you that what I say is true. But then you've got to believe. That's Jesus. That's his authority. Look at verse 11. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know. We testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. Jesus says, I'm the one who came from heaven. I'm speaking of my experience. I am God. And we are the blind men. And Jesus says, you guys, let me explain to you. So what will Nicodemus do? Will he trust him? Because here's what hangs in the balance. Yes, we must be born again. Yes, we must believe. Believe Jesus because he has authority. But believe Jesus because he's the only one who can rescue us from our condemnation. Look at verse 14 and onwards. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And then read verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus and the truth that he is going to proclaim. He is the truth. And people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. I've got two children, a five and a six-year-old, and they both are not at all disgusted by anything in nature, whether it is um, almost licking a slug uh, whether it is uh, just handling or mishandling, as I would, as I would call it, um, wood lice and anything that you can find under a rock. And I've begun to see that every time they find a big fat rock and it's damp and they lift it, all these little creatures go... It's, like, it's, it's not like they're saying, lift the rock, and they're like, hello, you found me, let's hang out. Because they should know that my little daughter will very soon end their life. <laughs> unwillingly but you will I believe that's the first reaction Jesus says Nicodemus or any of us can have to the light to the true words of Jesus in the scriptures he lifts the rock and he shows hey you're a sinner you're broken hopelessly there's nobody else that you can point to on earth and say them I'm better than them that can't happen and either we go, the light, no! <laughs> I don't want that. Go away. We can get angry. 
we can get frustrated. We can say, how dare you? You're 33 years old and you're saying I'm a wretched, hopelessly incurable sinner? Yes, but not on my authority, on the authority of the Lord Jesus. He says that about me too. It's not just you. The woodlouse does not want to be discovered in the dark. He wants to be in the damp darkness, unwilling to see the light. Such people, in verse 20, want to hide. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. I hope you'll never know what thoughts really cross my mind. But here's the second reaction we can have. I remember having this conversation with Andy, who has teenagers. I do not look forward to that stage. In my, I love working with teenagers because they're not mine, and I can, I can sort of rile them up, and I can give them sweets, which I do a lot less now. I have my own children. Um, they, um, they are lovely, but when, when you've got to be the one telling off and all that kind of stuff, that's different, isn't it? So he might, he might walk into the house, and there might be one teenager um, on the sofa, and everything else is dark apart from a light. And it's sort of, this is all they can see. See nothing else going on, okay? And it's amazing, the power of distraction, the power of the darkness. You don't know anything that's going on around you. And then he comes in, and he comes in, and he flicks the light switch. Hi, Dad, hello. <laughs> now they can see. And they, they can either say, I turned the lights off. What are, you, what are you playing at? What are you playing at? I'm enjoying myself. But obviously, Andy, the Bruins kids are lovely and wonderful. You know, they don't do that. Instead, they go, oh, I can see. Wow, look at the time. My goodness, I need to go to bed because I want to be, I want to do a good job at school tomorrow. You know, that's all of our teenagers. They're fantastic. That's the second reaction we can have to the light. Wow, I didn't know. It really hurts me to know that I was committing treason against the king. He created me. He loved me, and I rebelled against him. That hurts me. Wow. Help me. Rescue me, forgive me. We believe, if we've understood why Jesus came, as he says, to be lifted up, like that snake in Numbers 21. It wasn't about the snake in the time of Moses when people uh, were bitten by a snake and either they chose to look at the snake lifted up and believe or they would die of the poison. It wasn't about the snake. It was about whether they trusted the word of God. And Jesus says it's the same with me. It's not about whether you come to church, how you dress, um, particularly how you raise your children, what haircut you have, how tight your clothing is, or how loose it is, how much money you have or not. It's about this. Jesus says, come to me, repent of your sin, trust in me forever. And you go, I believe that. I trust that Jesus helped me. That's it. A Christian has been born that way. So as we finish... Jesus is the one who is lifted up on a cross so that if we look at him, we're healed. If you're a believer this morning, you go, yes, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I walk away going, you've rescued me from so much. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. Jesus, I came to the church this morning thinking about all the problems, everything that's going wrong. You know, I've been thinking about my daughter's toileting issues and how many changes of pants I've gone through and all that. Wait a minute. You've solved my biggest problem. I have you forever. I can die today, and I'll be with you forever. Everything else is small. If you're a Christian, that's you this morning. You're grateful. If you're not yet a Christian, 
you've been shown that you're broken. And you've been reminded that you can't fix it. And so I would say, come, come to Jesus, speak to him. You don't even need me, a religious figure. Just speak to him. Pray. If you are going to do that, though, tell us, because we want to rejoice with you, because you're becoming family, brother or sister. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that we can compare knowing you with knowing other human beings who, if they knew everything rotten about us, they would run a mile. And yet, you just unveil all the secrets from our hearts. You know what is in mankind. And yet, you choose to love us. You know what sins we will commit. What sins we've committed this morning, even as we were sitting here. And yet, you have chosen to love us and to say, Believe, trust in me. I will never let go of you. Make your people grateful again this morning, Lord Jesus. And for those who are not yet children of the Father, Pray that they would decide this morning by your Spirit to follow you. Thank you that no one can stop your great plan to make sons and daughters until the day you return and we see you rule. We honor you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.